Welcome to 77 Minutes, the only Mavericks podcast to be recording in my apartment right now. It's me, Tim Cato. We're talking Mavericks. I've got Doral Raider. You know Doral. He's been on the podcast before. How you doing, Doral? I'm good. It's late, uh, but I'm pretty good. We've both, you know, poured a, a generous amount of of uh, Four Roses to power us through a short pod. I think we're just going to do 20 minutes here. A little bonus episode for the... Uh, for the real fans. This podcast, it's it's a podcast for us. This is why we do it. We do it for the fans, always. All, all 17,000 17, of them that were there. That's, that's who we're doing it for. Yeah, every single one of them, especially the ones that maybe won't be able to make it out of the arena tonight. Oh, boy. Yeah, we, we did walk by a guy who was just face down on the concrete and was taking the loss a little too hard along with the shots, yeah, just a whole combination of things. Hope, hope that dude's doing okay. Fingers crossed. Anyway, the Mavericks lost, obviously. Um, it was an interesting game. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of ways that it kind of reflects the concerns I had in the series leading up to this game, but it didn't feel like that for the first, what, was it five minutes, maybe seven minutes, and then Luca came off the court? Like in that in that first seven minutes where Luca was just hitting everything and they they jumped out to a a twenty ish point lead. I, I don't have any box score right in front of me. I, this is again a low effort podcast, but it, it did feel for a moment that this series was just over. And and like, what, how did you process that? Yeah, I think they they got up nineteen at one point, but uh, yeah, like it was kind of a surreal opening to the game. Uh, I think the AAC was honestly the loudest I've ever experienced. And I've covered a few playoff games there. Uh, it's, you know, been a while. Uh, I, I think someone, uh, I saw someone say this, that it was like rivaling Moody Madness back from the eighties. And I, I definitely believe that. But yeah, the Mavericks got out to a hot start. It looked like the Clippers were dead in the water that. Adam Silver would have to seriously think about contracting the entire franchise from the NBA because it was just, there was no life. They were dead. Luca looked like he was about to single-handedly just eliminate a team. And he still tried for the rest of the game, but it was just an outrageous, outrageous environment for them to do that in. And, you know, as we know, it wasn't, Unfortunately, it wasn't a sustained effort on their part for the rest of the game, but that but that opening salvo was definitely something to see in person. Yeah, I mean, and this this goddamn dude, Luca. I mean, he still ends up with forty four. That's his his playoff career high. Um, obviously, topping by one point his it was forty three, I believe that he that he put up in the uh, in the step back game winning game of uh, of last series. He was great, obviously. Um, uh, he he was briefly bothered a little bit where the the Clippers did a good job with um with drop coverage that was actually working. Um, I, I did notice that pop up a few times. He he beat it. Uh, uh, I think at the at the end of the first half, he beat it once with a little push floater. But then Zubac actually bothered him a little bit, and they played that better. I thought just all around the Clippers looked a little bit better defensively. Um, certainly they they went away from Zubac even more went a lot smaller. It's what I expected from them. And then my other expectation is that if the Clippers did go smaller, 
that KP would actually be able to have a good game. And that's where the focus is going to be on. I, I, I don't know how much, you know, like it's, I'm going to write about Porzingis for, uh, so if you're probably listening to this on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, should be something up on the athletic, uh, right now as you hear this. Uh, a longer look at, at KP and, and just his overall performance, but it just wasn't good enough. Like, I think people are going to focus in on the offense and on his inability to score some points off those post-ups when Luca was out of the game early in the fourth quarter. To me, I'm not even worried about that. I'm worried about how he looked defensively and the idea that he's only looked good for one half of three games this series. That's a problem, and I don't know how you fix it. I don't know why he looked good in the second half of game two and just hasn't in the other ones. I don't get it, but but his defense is an issue and it does, I, I think there is a trend that when he plays well defensively, so does the team. And he hasn't been playing well defensively and neither has anybody else. And that's, that's a concern to me. That's a, that's a real concern right now. Yeah. I mean, just even tweeting out some of KP's quotes after the game set my mentions on fire. So I really feel bad for him. I hope he has his entire Twitter muted. It was the random, the random quote. Yeah. People don't like the uh, fact that random small players give him problems but like you know there was this one play where rondo came screaming across the court and knocked his hand out of, or the ball out of his hand during a uh double team i thought that was just a heady rondo play you know i know that probably no one listening to this podcast likes rondo but you give him credit for that but uh kp got we, we under no circumstances do we have to hand it to him it was a nice play that that's all i'll say then I don't know. Just the, the drill tweet is just echoing through my brain. We're after midnight and, uh, you don't hand it to ISIS and you don't hand it to Rajon Rondo. That's a drill reference. If any, if anybody missed it. Okay. Fair. As long, if you're going to bring drill into it, then I totally <laughs> accept that. But, uh, you know, he got beat baseline a couple times. Uh, I mean, it was kind of his guy that was on the weak side, uh, in the corner when the Clippers just kind of feasted there in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, it's not good. I mean, KP's been kind of immobile on defense through much of the season. Sure, he's like coming back from, you know, a scope or surgery or whatever the team calls it. Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is the bad KP. Like, I feel like last game we saw a pretty okay KP. It's just like such an ebb and flow from game to game. And that's. I just don't know if that's sustainable for this team to even continue to play at the level it needs to because the Clippers ate the Mavericks defensively. They feasted in the paint, and that's where kind of KP is supposed to be there to challenge shots and everything. Clippers were 17 of 20 in the restricted area for the game. That's absurd. I don't think I've ever seen a stat line like that ever looking at box scores, looking at shot charts, Anything like that. It was absolutely absurd. Yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna Yeah, I'm gonna talk through a few things that I'm I'm just thinking that probably gonna make it into the article uh that that you should go read tomorrow. KP was a good, even great defensive player last season. Um he's been bad most of this season. I think that when he's looked at his best, that's when the Mavericks have been at their best, or when he's been out injured. Um, that's all a concern, obviously. Like, he was traded. One of the main reasons the Mavericks traded for him is that he was a perfect fit because he could be a rim protecting modern center. Like, his offensive archetype and skill set, that's important and, and that matters. But him being a defensive force, I think foremost was 
one of the reasons the Mavericks could justify that trade. Um, I don't think that he was a player even last season, even when he was in his best rhythm and grooves on the offensive end. I don't think he's a player who you wanted to post up from 20 feet. I think that, you know, I, I don't want the focus. I don't think that's the right place to focus is those three possessions early in the fourth quarter when Luca was off the court. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people won't focus in on that. I just felt that that was the most visible moment where people were like, this guy makes $20 million, you know, or more than that, I think. 30, 30 million? It's a lot. It's a lot of money. Um, you know, and that was the most visible moment where people could look at that and say, I expect more of that player in that situation. But I, I agree in a in a vacuum on a surface level. I, I think I, I think that he's not gonna be I think that he can be he can be a player who almost lives, you know, who either lives up to his contract or almost lives up to his contract without being a player who has to convert uncontested, unassisted, or sorry, unassisted buckets all the time. Like, it's something that he needs to be able to do to some degree. But he, he I mean, throwing the ball to him 20 feet away from the basket, he's, that, that's not the player he is. That's not what he's going to do. My concern was that he wasn't getting deeper into the paint, that he wasn't finding ways when, when he's facing smaller players is that he was catching that far out. Okay, if, if you know, I, I, even Luca. Luca was asked after the game by Tim McMahon of ESPN, like, what does the team need to do for Przingis to get going? And Luca said post-ups. I don't know if Luca was just giving the textbook answer of, like, how does a big man score, or, or what was it, or if that's actually something that the team has consistently talked about. But if that's the idea, then, then it is on Porzingis to do more off the ball to get deeper post-positioning. And it goes back to the idea that he is, you know, a, a quote unquote soft player or a weak player, or as I prefer to talk about it, you know, he's a he's a guy with a high center of gravity. He doesn't really have the body type to move people in the post, whether he's off the ball, on the ball. I remember one moment where Marcus Morris was really bodying him. Ended up Marcus got called for a foul, but I thought, you know, it was like five seconds of that, and KP was just not winning that. Like Marcus had kind of burrowed underneath him and was just pushing him out from getting any deeper into the paint. And when you think about Porzingis and the idea that he's seven inches taller than Marcus Morris, seven inches taller than Kawhi Leonard, and can't really do anything to affect them, the, the Mavericks got out-rebounded by, I think, six. By six. Carlisle talked about that postgame. Like, all of that is concerning, and all of that is invalidating, you know, this, this guy who's supposed, supposed to be a special player. Like, he is, you know, and I think when he's at his athletic best, he does eliminate some of these things. It's different. He's still not moving people around, but he's quick enough to get better post positioning. He's he's quick enough that he can make cuts, smart cuts to the rim and to the basket and finish around the rim. And in fact, his his second, maybe his first shot, his, his first made bucket of the game was kind of catching 15, 14 feet, making a hard dribble and finishing through it through the defense. And we just didn't see that the rest of the game. And that that's the concern. Like that's when I look at his offense, it's not the it's not the fact that he can't do something when he's given the ball 20 feet from the rim or when he tries to face up Kawhi Leonard and he gets ripped. That stuff doesn't worry me. What worries me is that he can't get better positioning, that he's missing open shots. He'd missed a couple open shots in the fourth quarter as well. And, and just generally that that he isn't creating better looks for himself. Not necessarily that you know, or, or getting into positions to have better shots. Not not that he's not out there, you know, going and creating a fallaway 15-footer. Like, I don't need him doing that. So, I don't know. Now I'm just rambling. It, it's He's a frustrating player. I, I think I definitely agree with fans that he is he's frustrating to watch because 
it, it would be so easy to see him being able to do more than he does. Right. And I think, I think Rick brought up a pretty valid point of that. KP is good at a few things. Like he, when he gets in deep in the post, he can, uh, he can score. And then he's good at cutting. And when he was doing that in game two, like, guess what? The Mavericks looked great, but yeah, he, he can't turn around and face, you know, anyone like from far away. I think he can do it short, like in the, in the short post. I'd also like to see him go glass, watch some Tim Duncan, like, you know, this, this, beeline shot that he has it kind of looks as flat as chandler parsons shot if you remember that for some of you old heads out there but uh yeah going way back to 2016 huh yeah exactly well that was the last time they were in the playoffs well at this building at least but um yeah like another issue with him though like where are the rebounds like you're that big and like they're just getting out scrapped on the glass like you know, they had to bring in Collie Stein to at least like kind of narrow the gap. And then I think what really did them in was Zubots, like in what was it, the late in the third quarter, just what, three or four offensive rebounds, like towards the end there when they were trying to make a comeback. That really killed all momentum. And like those boards are up for grabs. There were like two or three Mavericks around Zubots at like all times. So like KP really needs to be more assertive there. And I think the team as a whole. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. So I thought the Mavericks were going to lose this game. I... I Somebody asked me in a, in a live Q&A, and I said, you know, if I had to make a prediction, I would say they're going to lose game three, win game four, lose game five, win game six. That said, if, if there's one thing that I look at at the box score that is a little bit concerning, the Mavericks hit their threes. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't an idea that the shot making, now it did inside, uh, you know, near the rim. They, they were awful on floaters. A lot of that was the Clippers defense, and I think that's where, where it really got better. A lot of the threes that they still gave up, the Clippers gave up, were pretty open ones. But there was still really high-level shot making. Does it worry you at all that, you know, I think it would have been easy to envision a loss in this game or a loss in the series after the first two where the Mavericks just were not hitting the shots to the same level they were. They did hit their threes to the same rate and still only managed, what, 103 points or whatever it was, 108 um, is that concerning to you? Uh, a little bit. I mean, <coughs> they've lived and died by the threes. I think they did take a couple of long twos that were kind of bad shots there. Uh, you know, late in the shot clock. I felt like they, they ran the shot clock down a lot more than I remember them doing in the past two games. I could be misremembering at times, but it seemed like, you know, they just hold on to the ball. There wasn't a lot of like offensive 
ball movement. They only had 17 assists with, again, something Carlisle brought up after the game. He said that they needed to be a higher assist team, and they absolutely do. I mean, it was basically just the Lucas show tonight, which, you know, he had to do it all. No one else was chipping in. They kind of somehow neutralized Tim Hardaway. I think they were throwing longer bodies on him uh, in switches and stuff, which, you know, for as much as he's been shooting. He, I mean, he hit, he hit four threes. He couldn't get to the rim. That That is, you know, if there is a secondary on-the-court storyline to this game, if, if KP is going to be first, the second one is that the Mavericks did not get to the rim. And I, I think, really, the Clippers very effectively walled them off from getting to the rim. I think I think that is really the story to this game, although KP is very wrapped into that because he is the player, ideally, that you know should be getting shots at the rim because of his height and because of the small lineups that the Clippers are playing. Right. Like, it was at the rim. I believe there were blocks on Hardaway, on Richardson, I think on KP, on Brunson. Willie's still sometimes has butterfingers down there. Uh, it... Yeah, everything was just kind of a mess, and the Clippers completely collapsed on any player that had the ball from the Mavericks. In, down there. Doesn't does not have butter fingers when it comes to Terrence Mann, though. No, no, that was such a weird play because in the arena, like you know, you everyone at home watching has a different angle. I saw a ref just absolutely flail his hand like to the tunnel, and I thought Mann was tossed instantly, and so I'm like, whoa, okay, what what is happening? Like I. I'm on the other end of the court, you know, at the top of the lower bowl. I really can't see anything. And then on the replay, I mean, did Willie extend his arm? Yeah, absolutely. I think if Terrence Mann was on the Lakers, though, he, they would be having him present an Oscar next year for, <laughs> for best performance, be, but not on the Clippers. L.A. and like that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. That play was something. I felt like this game was actually – pretty well officiated except for like a handful of kind of sus moments but overall i thought it was good but yeah that was that was kind of a weird touchstone point of the game because man i i didn't see what happened when it happened live and then i just see man charging across the court like he's about to fight someone right 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 it was it was so far from our vantage point in the media section is you know i was with the way man reacted i thought Willie really had done something. Honestly, it reminded me a lot of the Luca flagrant he got uh, a few weeks ago where he ended up hitting the guy in the junk. Yeah. But it was, I think it was the same situation where, yes, Willie and Luca both intentionally swung out. They did not intentionally target the part of the body they ended up hitting. I think with Willie, his hand was already on man and he just shoved him, but he happened to be shoving his face. The same thing with Luca where he intentionally lashed out, but did not intentionally aim for that body part. He was just lashing out indiscriminately and it landed at the wrong place. If, you know, to me, that is a fairly normal basketball play. I was very surprised it wasn't double techs for man's reaction after afterwards, because just because I think NBA refs get very legislative about this. You shouldn't just stop a game in that situation. Like they had no, or, or maybe I should. Yeah. Obviously the game need to be stopped. If a player is charging at another player, but there has to be a reason to stop the game. And if the reason was that you retroactively assessed a technical foul, like I don't think legally legislatively, that's how the referees can handle that play. That was weird. I don't know. I'm, I'm not too worried about it. It's not something to be hung up on. It, it was not a decisive moment in the game. Just a just a weird one that I, I wanted to reason out 
and uh and bring up um let's get to let's get to some closing thoughts um i'm trying to think of what i have um i would say that the the reason for optimism for the mavs is that they i think they can be better like you know if jalen brunson is your second best player and luca's going to continue playing like this which you know maybe they're in for some luca regression too but there's no reason to think that he's just this good you know like how jesus he isn't he is so good i i mean i i i know like it's a running joke on this podcast we never talk about luca because there's i mean there's only so many ways you can describe how good he is but just a just an absurd game for him especially late when the mavs looked like they were going to be pretty much out of it and they they were out of it but he was just nailing step back threes just to keep him in it right yeah it it i this luca kid's pretty good is the word on the street essentially but uh yeah i think there are some some takeaways here uh i think this was probably the clippers most complete game that they've played and at times it looked like they were this might be like all they had to give. I mean, honestly, if Reggie Jackson's going to pour in like 13 plus points, I think you live with that because it's Reggie Jackson. Uh, Marcus Morris hitting those corner threes. He was wide open. You can't let that happen again. I think they adjust for that because he looked like garbage. The other well, two games. they got, they got those threes because they doubled Kawhi. I don't think they ever doubled Paul George. And I don't think they need, I think, yeah, it was yeah, it was just Kawhi that they were doubling, and they just didn't rotate well enough. And I asked, I did ask Rick about that after the game, and he gave a typical. I'm gonna have to look at film answer, but but he did say maybe they'd look at the ways, like the the directions that they doubled from, because he said that uh, the Clippers he thought baited them into a couple double teams and had a planned rotation or a you know we're just anticipating it, and the ball moves faster than a than the player. So, you know, if, if you're playing into the Clippers' hands and they have a planned rotation, um, yeah, you're going to get beat. You're going to give up wide open corner threes. And they did that three, I think three times in a row to Marcus Morris. And that's pretty much when the game was, was over. So, but yeah, I mean, I think one concern I had coming into the series is, is that the Mavericks did not have a player who could actually slow down Kawhi. And I would say that I think is a fair concern going forwards. Because if you get to a point where the only way you can stop Kawhi is to double him, yeah, that's going to be an issue. Um, but yeah, I would say in general, I'm not surprised by the loss, and I don't think it dramatically changes my feelings about how these two teams match up against each other and face each other. So, yeah, I I think the one thing that maybe we can hope the Mavericks clean up is is the defensive end of the floor. It's they haven't been good this series at all. They've just been kind of masking it with their hot shooting. And like you mentioned, Tim, they were still hitting shots from uh three, just the same clip, 50 something percent. And it was just all the other shots. Like overall though, they were shooting like 44, which isn't going to cut it when the Clippers are shooting like 50 something overall. So there's that. And uh yeah, Kawhi is a robot. I think we've known this and he is, the best player on that team, they need to slow down everybody else. Paul George had a great game. You know, you got to give it up to him. Uh, you know, make your jokes online. I, I think that's fine. But, uh, oh, there was, they're making jokes and chants in the building. There's some, there's some playoff P going on. 
Yeah, there was. That was actually pretty funny. I mean, I like I like the whole uh, pandemic pee. I think that's very appropriate. It's pretty hilarious. But it looked like he had his vaccination tonight. So, all right, I'll I'll leave with this this final thought. I think it needs to be a push pull with Zubach, where Luca has clearly played him off the court. The Mavericks really need Porzingis to be playing him onto the court. They they need Porzingis to be good enough and big enough where the Clippers are looking at him and looking at the damage and the scoring he's doing against these small, the smaller wings and saying, man, he's killing us. Like, we have to put our best center on the floor. Like, it needs to be this, this two-way street, this two-way relationship where the Clippers both can't play him because Luke is just torching him. And they have to play him because Porzingis is torching them. And I think that that is the, the big question. That's the big storyline. You know, it's it's all wrapped up into their ability to score at the rim and score in the paint and get rebounds. And, you know, and, and KP directly factors into that. And, and that's the big takeaway from this game. But, you know, it, it would be great. It would be ideal from a Mavericks perspective, from Porzingis' perspective, if Ty Lue looks at a small lineup and says, damn, I just I can't keep playing this. Porzingis is cooking us like that's what the Mavericks need from him and I think that's the big question of the series going forwards whether he can do that anyway I appreciate you guys hopping on for for a bonus episode thank you Doyle we'll let you go get home we're gonna be there Sunday right I'll be there Sunday yeah all right all right it's uh it's another late night for us and uh we'll sleep in a little bit watch some Champions League soccer tomorrow do some fun stuff so anyway thanks thanks everyone for for popping on and uh, I think we we're planning to have an episode after after game four as well so stay tuned for that see y'all then don't fight the future please be nice to Luca future four time MVP oh my god oh shut it down let's go it's a wrap that is a wrap